Hey, it is awesome to be with you all. I've kind of been a little bit more absent today. I got the uh, COVID booster shot a couple of days ago, and I had the original one, did nothing. The second one didn't have any after effects at all. But with this one, uh, it sort of uh, gave me a sore throat and a, uh, a much more masculine-sounding voice, which isn't all bad. But uh, I've been trying to stay away a little bit from you. But it is a thrill for me to see all of you together. I told the classes that I taught earlier, I remember the very first time we came to the Lake of the Arzokes region for a marriage retreat, and I think there were either six or seven couples. Uh, in about a month from now, we'll have our marriage retreat at this same facility, and we'll have around 200 couples. Uh, pretty cool, huh? And when we first had our first retreats down here, uh, it was a handful of college students that came down, and there was literally maybe a couple of dozen people, and that was it. And I don't know what the registration is this year, but by all likelihood, next year, uh, we, we won't be here. We'll be in Florida next year. I think that's the plan. And then in two years, we won't be able to be here because there'll be too many people. And that's an incredibly cool thing whenever Reed and I were driving up to this motel uh, and coming up. And I was looking at it sitting here on the lake. And you have to understand where, where we came from and, and where the crossings, the church that I work with and the Greater Alton Church, the other church that I helped start, came from. We met in Cracker Barrels, literally, and I don't mean a restaurant, I mean little Cracker Barrels, you know, places where you'd store things. Our, audit our, our auditorium for Sunday mornings was probably one-tenth of the size of this building. And as we were driving up, I said to Rita, hey, could you have ever imagined that we would sell out that motel? And she was going, you know, I said, every room will be taken for the marriage retreat and for that... And she didn't say much, and I said, do you think anybody could, could, would have thought that would have happened? And not to brag in any way at all about me, but I said to her, I did. I expected that to happen. Because of the very things that we're talking about this weekend with the vine and the branches. That the ability to grow and multiply is not based upon the strength of those that are connecting with the vine, but the strength of those that are connected to it. Because those that are weak and broken when they are connected to the vine all of a sudden become significant and powerful. And one of the things I want you guys as we talk this evening about obedience and obedience being the key to abiding, to, to, abiding, to remaining. I want every one of you to have a greater sense of significance than maybe you ever have. An understanding that when we talk about you being plugged into the vine, that God is saying, I want you plugged into the power source, and the reason he wants you plugged into the power source is because he has a purpose and intent for your life that's incredible. And so this weekend, as we talk about filling this place, maybe our dream can be to where we're going to fill, fill a convention center, and next year in Florida, we'll go from this number to 500. And if we do that, if we do what we've been talking about this weekend, if we plug into the vine and allow God to produce lasting fruit in our hearts that results in a consistent lifestyle that glorifies him, which will result in producing the fruit of other disciples. Only God can imagine what could happen. And he said that whatever he envisions would be greater than you or I could either ask or imagine. But it's important for some of you who sometimes feel like you never could, that you never measure up, you'd never be good enough to know that's our history. That's my history, but it's just not my history. It's the history of God worked throughout all of Scripture, taking nobodies and making them somebodies, taking those who could do little and making them do 
amazing things. And the call continues for every one of you as you go back on your college campus and never forget that no matter how difficult the obstacles are, the power source that you have as long as you're plugged into that vine is greater. And greater is you, is the one that is in you than the one that's in the world. And I'm excited to see over the next 10 years, we'll be re-articulating a 10-year vision sometime during this year and talking about what we're going to do in planting churches, and you guys will be setting a vision for your churches. And the cool thing is you need to know that you're at the very center of it. And don't back away, don't doubt, and don't be afraid. But plug in, power up, and see what God can do through somebody that never imagined that would happen. We've been walking through John chapter 15, a very famous section on the vine and the branches. And I didn't bring my booklet with me. There's a little booklet by a guy named Warren Wearsby that we base these lessons on, but there are secrets that connect with each other. And so we're talking about the secret of abiding is obeying. If you were in my class earlier, you know that 11 times in 18 verses, John uses the word abide. And it, remain, it, it carries with it the idea to, to, to stay with, to connect with, to be surrounded by. And the truth, all of us know that we have had people that are not here this year that have walked away from God because they no longer abide with him. They're no longer connected with him. And John wants you to know that everything that good is going to happen in your life is going to happen because you abide. And it's used 11 times in 18 verses, that word, that's how important it is. And John, the apostle of love, the one, the most relational of all the disciples, the only one that was at Jesus with Jesus at the foot of the cross, will use that word abide over 50 times in his book, in his writing of the New Testament. He sees abiding is the key to accomplishing everything that you can in this world and God accomplishing everything in your life that he can in this world and the next. And so now we're moving on to where the secret of abiding, how do I make sure I stay? How do I make sure that I remain? And the secret to abiding is obeying. Two verses that we're basing that on, John 15, 10 and 15, 14, where the Bible says this, Jesus is speaking. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain. That's the word abide, you will abide. If you keep my commands, you will remain. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. It really remains a good word, but abide carries with it in the sense that you're living within it. If you keep my commands, you're going to live within my love. Just like I kept the Father's command, and no matter what's been going on, I live within his love. And then in verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, here's the thing I want you to know. All of us need to be aware that while God is trying to build something in our life, there is an eternal force of evil called Satan that also wants to destroy whatever God is creating. If any of you are superhero fans, you know that a superhero movie without a supervillain is not. It's never been made. That's the, that's the basis, that's the drama of all their movies, that there's something that's super good and there's something that's super bad. And all of those great movies, and however they might be pieced together, are really based upon the principles of Scripture and how there is a great being that is pulling for us and wants us to live, and there's a great being that wants to destroy us. 
And we all need to be aware of that and not just take for granted. There are some people who would say that it doesn't matter. You come into Christ based upon your faith, but faith doesn't have to remain faithful for you have a relationship with God. And I would challenge that based upon what the scriptures teach, what the early church fathers teach. But I want you to know, regardless of what, what the theology on that, you need to be aware that Satan can pull you away and damage and destroy you in ways that are greater than you can imagine. And so it's why you need, to be, you need to be careful that you're doing everything you can to abide, to remain, to live in a relationship with God, a living, constantly growing relationship with God. And what Jesus says in this verse is basically that the best way to ensure that you'll abide with Jesus in the future is to make sure that you're obeying Jesus in your present. You see, there are times whenever I really wondered if I would ever be able to make it in my relationship with God. I grew up knowing about Christ, going to a church that was flawed in the sense of how it lived out its responsibility in the lives of the people that are there, had a good doctrinal foundation. But it couldn't deal with a kid like me who was as hyperactive, as attention deficit disordered, and as damaged as I was because all of those things were a part of my childhood. And so because of that, there were times when I would go to camp and events like this, and uh, camp, this, this was, camp was the closest thing that I, I had growing up. There was no events like this whenever I was growing up and where I was growing up. And they would sing at camp, and they had devotionals, and there were a number of those counselors, <coughs> excuse me, there were a number of those counselors there who would point to me and say, there's a kid that doesn't care at all. He just doesn't care about what's right or wrong. He just doesn't really, you know, anything that he's doing is an act of manipulation. I was that kid. But as I sat on those devotionals overlooking this A-frame reflecting in the lake that was a part of this camp, and the wind would blow gently and warmly and would sing those soft devotional songs, I would begin to cry. I would be crying because of the love of God that I knew was evident in the scriptures and what it meant to me. But more than that, I cried because I never thought I'd be able to make it. That I'd never be able to remain. That I would never be able to abide. That there was something so broken about me that I would never be able to get it together and live for Jesus. And with that, I constantly kept looking into the future. And there's a good thing about looking into the future, but in one of Jesus' first sermons, he taught a principle that AA has seized upon, and that is that you live one day at a time. That your prayer is, give us our daily bread. And so I began to grasp that, and when I was in school for ministry... I'm thinking, man, I'm reading about these men in the first century who gave their lives in the Old Testament. I thought, I don't know if I would die for Jesus. If that comes around, I know I'm going to blow it. I'm going to deny him, and I'm going to be, I, I'm going to be the same old me. And so I went and talked with the, the, this person who started the school. and I said, Mike, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Well, why don't you think you're cut out for it? I don't think that if the persecution occurred, I don't think that I would be able to stand up and embrace Jesus if persecution. I couldn't stand up for him when people made fun of me. I couldn't stand up for him when he wanted something different than I wanted. And I remember Mike saying, Robert, listen, the Bible promises that God is going to give you the strength to be able to survive the things that you'll face. 
But how about, Robert, you decide rather than worrying about whether you're going to be able to die for him somewhere in the future, why don't you make the choice to live for him today? And then when tomorrow comes, to live for him that day. And what I have found is it's been that sequence of events to where every day a determination that says, listen, here's what I know. I want to remain with Jesus forever. I wanted to remain for him for my wife when we got married as kids. And I wanted to remain for him for my kids when we had kids as kids because they mattered to me. But the key, and again, the best way to ensure that you or I will abide, remain, live with him forever in the future is to obey Jesus in your present, right now, today. Now, why is obedience, and I want to give you three reasons at least, why obedience is able to allow you to continue to connect with Jesus. The first reason that obedience is so important is because obedience is the result of two relational glues that will keep you glued, connected to Christ. If you look through scriptures, those that are obedient and are pleasing to God, in Old and New Testaments, you will find that there are one of two sources of compulsion or motivation or whatever, whatever word you might choose. The first component of this relational glue is the glue of trust. You see, I tend to obey the person I trust. And with Jesus, when I obey the person I trust, because he is faithful, I end up trusting the person I obeyed. Do you see that sequence so far? Because I trust Jesus, I've decided I'm going to trust him, I'm going to obey him. When I obey him and I stick with him, I end up going, man, I trust him, so I'm going to obey. But now because I've obeyed him, I trust him because I've watched what's happened in my life. And so I trust him more now, and in that greater trust, I now want to obey him more. And so I have this cycle, not a vicious cycle, but a spiritual cycle of faith and obedience, and obedience and faith, and they're going so much together that in Scripture they're inseparable. In the book of James, God says to the people, that Jesus' brother says, listen, when you talk about this, this faith that goes with actions, it's a perfect faith. It's a mature faith. It's a complete faith. And the Bible teaches that. There's a passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, 6 that's really important, especially in regard to this relational glue and how faith, trusting obedience keeps you right with God. In Hebrews chapter 11, 6, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You're never going to be able to, to, to please God if you don't have faith. Now, if you're a doubter and you have struggles, understand that there is a difference between disbelieve and doubt. Disbelief is the choice to not believe. Doubt is the struggle to believe. Disbelief will walk away. Doubt, when you have honest doubts, you'll dig in and ask questions. I was a huge doubter after I moved out of my rebellious disbelief. But Hebrews eleven six, 6, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. That's the first struggle if you're a doubter. You've got to believe that he exists. For me, I believed in God because I was told so. As a little kid, I believed that, but whenever I got to that point, and I was always a critical thinker, asking questions, 
that nobody else did and afraid to ask him of the people in my church because the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there's no God and I didn't want to be the resident fool in my church. So you have to believe that God is, but it doesn't end there. It's not enough to intellectually know that God exists. It says you must believe that he exists and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 is the story of those who diligently sought God. And what you will find out that Hebrews chapter 11, diligently seeking, is demonstrated by obedience. So when you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of fame of the faith people, but not just faith people, faithful. And faithfulness is a combination of believing God and obeying God. And so here's the thing, the first thing that you've got to get down. That you have to believe in God, but you have to believe that he rewards you because if not, if you don't believe that he exists and he's going to reward you, you're not going to do what he says. For some of you, you are going to destroy your future. You're going to have marriages, and I've been through 40 years of this, you're going to have marriages that are violent and angry. You're going to have some guy that's going to sleep around on you and treat you ladies like a piece of meat. You're going to men, you're going to find a girl that you can never please because she's got a problem inside of her that no man can ever please. And the reason you're going to end up there is you trust you more than you trust God. And so you go out and get that guy and in your arrogance and understand you're looking at somebody who lived like that. In your arrogant belief in you and that you are the one that's trustworthy and you are the one that will reward yourself, you'll destroy your future. And the best way to guard your future and to remain with Jesus is to make sure that you're obeying him right now. Because here's the thing. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But here's the, here's the switch where it comes back to you and I. And without faith, it's impossible for God to please you. He can't give you the right kind of man or woman when you're running on the wrong road. He can't give you that deep sense of meaning and purpose when all you're worried about is are you, are you cut up enough in your, in your muscular structure or does your makeup look the way it should in the, any given light? There has to be something more. And in this relational glue of faith, when I trust, I all of a sudden begin to trust him. And because I trust him, I obey him. And he proves faithful. So now I trust him more and I want him more. And I get a cycle of faith and reward that go together. Now the second component of that relational glue in Scripture, when you find somebody who's pleasing to God, who is remaining with him, is love. The big two, honestly, in Scripture, faith and love. Jesus says in John 14, 15, just before this, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And what you find when you love Jesus, and if you can just hold on to that before Satan steals that from your heart and make a commitment to obey him, to trustingly obey him, all of a sudden you love him so you obey him and you find out good things happen. Now, understand, it doesn't mean there, you, there is no trek in this life that you or I will take that is pain-free. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or an atheist, you're going to have problems in this life. The only assurance is that God promises, the divine creator of this world, promises to be active in your life if you will trust and obey him and love him 
in a way that could change some of the darkness into light. And so, you see, I trusted Jesus, and I obeyed him. Now I obey him more because I trust him more. I love God, so I did what he said. And when he did what he said, all of a sudden, all the things that I'd been looking for began to fall together. And I don't know how I got here. Other than day by day, a relational grew of knowing, being humble enough to know that I am not God and I can't do this, that was my greatest strength as I came to the realization that I was a fool fairly early. By the time I was about 15, I was sure of that. And that's a little bit premature for most young people, honestly. But day by day, it has grown deeper. To wherein I'm rebellious in my own desire, I am still tempted to go and look other places for happiness or meaning or significance. But the temptation never really lasts because I don't trust the tempter anymore, even though he still speaks to me. And I found that in obeying, there's something marvelously different that happens. When I might look at my son and my daughter-in-law, Carrie and Hannah, and Ashley and RJ, I look at people who had a commitment to God, Carrie and Ashley specifically as my kids when they were younger, that always amazed me. A willingness to stand up when I would have bowed down. A willingness to speak up when I would have shut up. And I look at their marriage and they both have partners that are obviously gifts from God that are as committed to their ministry as they are, and they literally will be together through all eternity. Not as husband and life, wife in eternity, but they'll be together in this life and in the next, and they'll be partly there in the next because they were together in this life. And I look back at Ashley and all the times that she said no to a lot of boys that wanted her to say yes. And I'm talking about being sad. I'm talking about just going out on a date. Where no, I'm not going to go out with you. And her at times, young, hearing her talk with, with, with Rita and knowing the sadness of going to, to prom and to places, to dances alone, especially when you've been nominated as one of the queens. But God has been faithful. They have trusted and obeyed, and now they trust and obey more. They have loved, and they have been blessed, and they love even more. So now the next generation I get to look to is my grandkids. I have six grandkids. All of them are here. Four of them are participating in the weekend. And I can tell them not by faith, but by sight, that if you want to make sure that you're with Jesus later on, Obey him right now. And as everybody else's lives fall apart, at some point you're going to look and go, man, this was the right thing to do. I am so glad I obeyed because it has caused me to trust. The second reason within that, even more specifically, and all these are interconnected, by the way, because in being obedient, God promises blessings to me. Let me just read you through a list of things, okay, of Scripture. In Proverbs 16, 20, the Bible says God blesses those who obey him. In Psalms 7, 10, the Bible says God saves those who obey him. In Psalms 33, 18, the Bible says the Lord watches over those who obey him. 
In Psalms 37, 18, the Bible says the Lord takes care of those who obey him. In Psalms 7, 9, the Bible says you help those who obey you. In 1 John 3, the Bible says God gives us what we ask for because we obey his commands. In Proverbs 28, 14, the Bible says always obey the Lord and you'll be happy. In Proverbs 19, 16, the Bible says God's, keep God's laws and you'll live longer. In Psalms 34, 10, the Bible says those who obey the Lord lack nothing good. In Psalms 34, 9, the Bible says those who obey him have all they need. And that is only a handful of a basket full of scriptures and illustrations that prove that point. But here's the thing. God has made a promise to those who trust and obey him. That when you remain, when you obey, you say you remain in my love, it carries with it the idea that you're staying connected in relationship. And as long as you're staying connected in relationship, you're staying connected in blessing. Because in John 15, the blessing comes from a relationship of the vine being connected. And whenever I stop obeying God and think I can live for myself, that's the word sin, and it means to separate. It means to kill. Remember in John, it's, yeah, and I told the group uh, in the classes this morning, you know, the difference between what is a vine or a branch that's not connected to the vine? It's a stick. A branch is not connect, that's not connected to the vine. That's all it is. It's a stick. It's a dead piece of wood. And if you look in John chapter 15, it tells you what happens with the dried up pieces of wood. It says they will be gathered together and thrown into an endless fire. They have disconnected themselves from the source of life. They die. But here's the thing. You can't disconnect yourself in your sin and you think, man, I'll just disconnect and everything will be okay. No, you will always suffer damage. And God's grace can forgive you and will forgive you. And he can redeem you as he has me. But you will do damage to yourself and others that you will never be able to come to grips with in your own mind. So you got to decide whether you want to be somebody who sticks with God and has a fruitful, blessed life, or you just want to be a stick, a piece of wood, that at some time in the future will be gathered and thrown into the fire. So the best way to ensure that you'll abide with Jesus in the future is to make sure you obey him in your present. That's a truth because obedience is the result of those relational glues, because God promises his blessing on those that are obedient, and because of the law of sowing and reaping. There are certain things that God puts in place that are laws. I'm always amazed whenever I sit in an airport and I watch airplanes take off. I, don't, I understand from a very shallow superficial physics level why that happens, how that happens with lift and drag and all that stuff. And I've had guys that are literally who, who, have, who have went to, you know, engineering school and have wrote books on this years ago in Rolla, explain to him exactly how that happens. And when it's done, I'm like, man, that's cool, but I still don't know how that really happens. You look, you ever sat in a plane and look at those wings? And they're not that big. And you're sitting in this big aluminum rocket-looking thing, and there's not a lot of room in any of those seats. And some of them, there's no room in the seat. Somebody ought to have a seat and a half, right? There's a lot of weight in that plane. And 
I contribute to that, all right? But whenever the engine takes off and the air is propelled, do you realize it functions, an airplane functions upon, based upon an eternal law that God put in place, a law of physics. There is also a law of reaping and sowing that Galatians 6 talks about. And just as certainly as the law that allows the plane to lift, the laws of physics are laws that always are trustworthy, so are the laws of reaping and sowing. And here's what they are. If you think you can fool God, if you think you can make a fool of God, you're only fooling yourselves. You harvest what you plant. Here's the law. You harvest what you plant. If you plant a pea in a little cup, guess what's going to come up? A pea plant, okay? If you plant corn in a little vase or a little pot, what's going to come up? A corn plant, okay? And here's the thing. You may have wanted corn when you got pea, okay, when you got peas, but it doesn't matter what you wanted. The law is this. Whatever you plant, that's what you're going to harvest, whether it's something you like or not. Because a lot of times what we want to do in our lives is we know what we really want, and it's something really glorious, but the seed that we're sowing is far from glorious. We want a great relationship with God who's someone, someone, if we're women, we want somebody who will love us the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. But the bait that we're using is more of the enticer than of the Savior. And we expect that to work out. So there's this law. If you think you can fool God, you're only fooling yourself. You'll harvest what you plant. If you live to satisfy your sinful self, the harvest you'll get from that will be eternal death. But if you live to please the Spirit, by the way, what he's saying is if you're obedient to your desires, that's what you'll get. If you're obedient to the Spirit's desires, you'll get something else. If If you live to please the Spirit, you'll harvest from the Spirit will be eternal life. We must not get tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time. We must not give up. And that is speaking of eternity. But here's the thing for some of you guys. And if you look around today, and I said, we don't have many empty chairs in my class. But if we were to take chairs and scatter them along this front row from this side, and if we were to cover the stage with chairs... And then we were to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want, we're going to start on this first place over here with Jackson. And we're going to ask you to name the name of somebody who used to be here that you'd give anything to see them here again this year in setting one of those chairs. We're not going to do this, by the way. I'm saying if we did this, the little girls are going, I'm going to have to answer. No, I am going to bring you up on stage in a minute, okay, because I need it. No, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> But listen, if, if, if we were to do that, imagine that I'm off the stage standing beside it and there are 50 chairs that are here. How many rows would we have to go back asking the question, who is somebody who used to be here that you loved and you cared for that used to walk with Jesus and now they've walked away from him and you'd give anything to have them back? How many rows would we have to go back before we have the chairs filled? We wouldn't get anywhere near the back because almost every one of you here has somebody that's like that. 
Galatia, the church at Galatia, Paul's saying, man, listen, focus on eternity. But the fight that they had was focusing on obeying Jesus today. And when you give up on today, you lose your future. The easiest way to ensure that you walk with Jesus and abide with Jesus in the future is to obey him today. And the easiest way to ensure that you will be walking away from Jesus in your future is to disobey him today. So your attitude and how you're living right now, based upon the law of sowing and reaping, you are already the best forecaster of whether you're going to be somebody that people cry about because you're gone or praise God because you stayed. But you cannot sow to please yourself and obey your desires and anticipate God being able to work in your life. So what can you do to make sure that you obey God and you abide? Let me give you four things. Number one, I want to challenge you to obey God joyfully. In Psalms 119, 47, David said, I find pleasure, great pleasure in obeying your laws. That you decide, and you go, how can I be joyous? I can remember when I talked with Ashley, one particular time, she'd been invited to one of the school dances, but I said, where is Ashley at? Where you at, girl? Where is she? She's not here? She's hiding. She skipped out on her dad's lesson because she's heard this so much. Okay. There she is. She's up there. All right. I can remember talking with Ashley at those moments, and Ashley was, honestly, she's like any high school student that had struggles, ups and downs, but she was faithful through her years of high school in some really, the most persecuted high school student I've ever known. Satan attacked Ashley with waves of persecution that were greater than any kid I've known since then or then. And yet she stayed faithful. She fought to hang on. And I remember just talking with her and saying, Ashley, and I didn't have to do a lot of talking. She was committed. I am not going to get involved with anybody that's not a disciple of Jesus. And these guys would call up. And they would be athletic guys, the captains of the basketball or football team or the good-looking guys. And I would hear on the phone, no, I am not going to go to the prom with you. Why? Because you are a bad boy. And I'd hear her saying that. <laughs> and I could hear one guy, she, I don't know if she remembers this conversation, I'm around the corner, I promise I'll be good, I'll go, to, I'll, I'll go to church with you Sunday. You come to church for six months and let's see how that works out and then maybe I'll go out with you. But you won't go to the prom with me this time? No, I won't. And I remember her resolution in those situations hanging up and me talking to her and saying, Ashley, I'm telling you, God will reward your faithfulness. He will. You keep walking with him, and don't worry about right now. Because one of the greatest threats to forever is a disobedient right now. And one of the greatest insurance of blessing forever is a faithful, obedient commitment to right now. And it wasn't very long after that phone call, within months of that phone call, she came home from a campus event talking about this R.J. Catazon. Yeah. What a Catazon. <laughs> Sound like an Italian pasta to me, okay? I just so, he, so it's a Catazon. 
I know there are some catazon are stuffed with cheese, some are stuffed with meat, and I wonder what this catazon was stuffed with, okay? She was, he was the brother of, the, of, a, of a, a girl that had become a Christian in our campus ministry. He was already signed up to go into the military, and he had no concern for God at all. And he saw a picture of Ashley first, then he met Ashley. And after he came to the campus event, a couple of times, all of a sudden, while Ashley was always in the background, it was really clear, clear that what he, has, what he was growing to care about was God. And while Ashley always wanted that to be the way it was, she couldn't help from at the, in the background when RJ was being baptized. It wasn't just RJ. It was RJ, the finest human being I've ever saw, getting baptized, okay? <laughs> And God, I told Ashley whenever they got together and they dated for about a year and were married, I said, this is the promise, I believe. This is God working in your life because of your obedience to him in your past. And aren't you so glad that you didn't give in to the evil one who wanted to please you for a moment and destroy you forever? And so now... Ashley's up there. I think RJ's sick in his room, right? Oh, he's there, all right. RJ's like me. There's a little bit more RJ now than there was back then when we were, when we were having this conversation, okay? There's a little bit more Robert on the stage. Hey, we're just moving from running backs to linemen, okay? That's what we're doing, all right? You're already a lineman, aren't you? All right, I forgot about that. All right. And I am telling you, both of my kids, while they were incredibly blessed to get good-looking people they're married to, they met them within the rhythm of ministry and in a cadence of faithfulness and obedience. And the best way to ensure all the blessings of God in the future is to obey God in your presence. And you can do it, here's the thing, you can do it joyfully if you trust. If Peter could have got out of the water and knew that the water was going to be firm, what would have been the expression on his face? Terror or excitement? If he knew he's going to be able to walk. Joy or anxiety? And you and I know the answer to that. It would be excitement, man. If I could have been Peter, it would have been excitement and joy because he obeyed in trust. Obey God joyfully. So as you go back to your rooms and you discuss what we're talking about tonight, as you make that commitment, be joyous in repenting. Be joyous in committing and knowing that you have just done the best thing that you could do to ensure your future. Secondly, obey God immediately. In Psalms 119.60, David said, without delay, I hurry to obey your commandments. And by the way, he said that after he had the holy crud beat out of him because he didn't obey. David would say, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your laws. That's what he's saying is, God, you know, I took things in my own hands and I got the holy crud beat out of me. I'm not going to do that again. 
So tonight, make a decision that you're going to change to be obedient today and then tomorrow and then the next day. Thirdly, obey him completely. Psalms 119.4 says, Lord, you gave your orders to be obeyed completely. Stop with a half-hearted obedience. For some of you, you never, and you're me, okay? I'm, I'm just telling you, I could never break free in obedience because I never threw off the sin completely. And if I did throw off the sin, I wouldn't throw off the things that hindered me. And for some of you, you don't trust God enough. You always want to somehow keep another option open. And when you keep another option open, you keep God limited. Obey him completely. And then finally, make a commitment to obey him continually. In Psalms 119, verse 33, David said, Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it, Lord. As long as I live, I'll wholeheartedly obey you. We're talking about bearing fruit. And I told the group so you guys realize that you're the age group. Some of you in college, some of you who are in the campus ministry at Collinsville or Wentzville, or you're the age of some of the team members that came when they started the crossings. You guys are no longer children and babies. You're the ones that are now supposed to be the leaders that are taking up the mantle, that are so connected with Jesus that the power is flowing through you and there is so much power that it has produced fruit within you and it has produced fruit through you. And the best way you can make sure that you'll produce fruit in the future is to be faithful and obey in your present. So let's make a commitment to do that this weekend, all right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the blessings of the law of sowing and reaping. That, Father, while I never deserve the good things that I get, they do come because I trust you. And when I sow to your spirit, you're able to work the things in me that matter most. And, Father, I look out at a group of, uh, of high school and college students that, Father, I know that are, that are as messed up, some of them, as I was. But, Father, they can look at me and go, yeah, and you are as messed up as I am. And it's true. But the great news is that you are the grand untangler. And the person who turns messes into miracles. But you can only do that for those who trust you and obey you. So, Father, help us to trust and obey. And help us to begin tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we end tonight, we have a, a time of prayer for one of the members of our congregation at home. Her name is Shelly Martin, and some of you know Carly and, and, and the boys. But Shelly is in the hospital with COVID. She has been in for a few days, and she is just a few bad moments for him being put on a ventilator. And she has several, uh, you know, she has an autoimmune disease. She has a, a lung disease in advance of all this. She has almost all the complicating factors that could cause this to end horribly wrong as far as her being able to be with her family and living in this life. The great news is God has promised that it could only end horribly right because she is a faithful child of God. If any of you don't know Shelly, she's the one who leads our Comforting Rachel ministry. I lead a prayer and ask you guys during this retreat to join in, and not just during this time, but let's just shout out to the halls of heaven and ask God to do a miracle in her life and allow her to continue in her ministry 
and allow her to do what she wants to do more than anything else, restore her family to a relationship with Jesus. Did you bow with me? Father, right now I pray for our sister, Shelly. Father, she was one of the first ones that came along after we came to Wentzville. And she's been there ever since. And there are that she has had to face that many would have gave up on. But she has been faithful and fought through. And Father, while we know that you promise blessing, that that blessing may not be in this life, and God, that we trust you, Father, we do ask and we express to you our desire for you to heal her. And Father, at the crossings, we're getting ready to build a new building that we want to use to serve people and to reach people that are broken and hurting. And Shelly helps us do that. So God, we beg you in the name of Jesus to heal her either miraculously, Father, or through the hands of the doctors and the system that she is in of health care and bring her back to us, Father. Be with her kids and her husband, and her mother, and all those that love her. And Father, help those of us who are believers to know that whether she were to be healed instantly, the very thing that we would like, or to ultimately she went home to be with you, both of those would be reflections of your incredible goodness, God. So we trust you and lay her well-being in your hands in the name of Jesus. Amen.